As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. I'ma roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions. Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working, open curtains. Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version. Whoa. I'm never gon' give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up. You're listening to the Tom Fickman Show on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. I'm going to get started right away because we don't have a lot of time with all the guests we have. It's really packed. Uh, I want to get started with my esteemed colleague here, James Jetta. And uh, James, let's get right into it, man. What do you got going on around democracy and voting rights and uplifting our community? Oh, yeah. Thanks. Thank you, Earl. Um, my name is James Jetter. I'm a co-founder, co-director of the Full Citizens Coalition. Uh, we are a voter uh, protection and advocacy coalition for citizen-impacted people and the communities they come out of. So, um, you know, what we do is, I guess the best way to put it in two buckets is that we go to our community to engage them um, on the theory, application, outcomes of democracy, on what is citizenship and how we've been disengaged around that. And we fight to restore the rights of those who have been impacted through the system that uh, has played a critical part in our uh, communal disengagement, um, which is, you know, the, car- the carceral system uh, through through felony disenfranchisement. That's that's a lot. That's a lot. So where exactly are you? Are you guys holding forums? Are you guys, um, so I know one of the last times we talked, you guys, you guys go out, you be on the cold, the rain. Yeah, the yeah, whatever, yeah. Like mailman meeting the people where they're at so where are some of the places that you guys are at and, and what you guys have upcoming and how can we oh, so, oh yeah so um we we had a a good year so far on outreach and um, we got a, we got a chance to partner with some local businesses in new haven and hartner hartford and um do a uh, voter engagement registration and um black census surveys um and at the same time you know give the community an opportunity to to meet new businesses and put a little money into some into some some some, some small entrepreneurial startups startups um in these cities um we've also been back in barbershops doing our barbershop tour again um and uh right now you know we're going into october we're getting ready for a get out the vote uh we want to make sure that our, our communities are uh are active um we you know we come from cities that have low turnout you know um, I don't think we've, we we fully we are so disengaged. We don't investigate uh, the effects of low turnout, um, but we want things. We want we need things, and so uh, understanding how turnout affects those, uh, we're definitely looking to uh, engage everywhere. So we've we've been in halfway houses, um, we've been in community centers, we've been at churches, you know, and we look to continue to just uh, engage our community. We recently started uh, doing mailings to the prisons um, about how to engage your family while you're incarcerated, you know, oh, like how awesome. to, yeah, how to, how to engage your family around um, uh, voting and, and you know, we're, we're fighting for felony enfranchisement, which is giving guys and women in prison their rights to vote back because we understand that it's hard to have full rehabilitation without that. It's hard to have someone engage um, their community with ownership without that. And having it in, in prison, you know, prisons have played a crucial role uh, since since this in this era on disengaging our communities it's, it's been other things in other eras um we've always been destabilized around the vote as a people um i believe that um 
destabilizing black folks in this country around voting destabilizes the entire country around voting. If you few of us think through uh, what democracy is, what is the theory that that uh, that we're actually uh, of government that we're operating under? You know, it's a reason why you have fifty sovereign states. You know, it's right. a reason, like you know what I mean. So we don't really wrestle with these things. Um, uh, well with these ideas, these thoughts that that produce application and produce outcomes. So we have removed that. We have a particular application that is removed from theory and we get bad outcomes. And so, um, you know, really engaging our communities on how I should care more about what you say needs to get done. And then we can work towards that as opposed to anybody coming to us and telling us this is what they want to do for us. As a coalition. As a coalition, as a community, as, as a, a community, community. Right. as a community. I, and I, I never get any of these sayings right, but you know, they say we can get more done as a close, as a close hand working with each other, and then more so than one finger or just the hand open. So, um, to your point, though, a couple of things to your to a couple of your points because I know when I first started in Bridgeport as ministry director, you and I linked up, and as you we were talking right before you know we went live. And, and it was right before COVID. So we were in Bridgeport at barbershops talking to folks, trying to engage them around voting. Um, how do you feel your movement has been, how much success do you feel your movement has had since that time we were in Bridgeport till now? I know you had some legislative wins um, around getting folks on parole to, to vote. I know you and I worked, not necessarily together, but in, in concert, um, trying to get folks that were eligible to vote access to the ballot who were pre-trial yeah. in prisons in 2020. And I want to talk mm -hmm. to you at some point about trying to do that again for this election in 2024. Yeah, as well. yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you have a lot going on. And then to your point about lack of engagement. So two things. Um, at one point in New Haven, I was co-chairing my ward. And we looked at the amount of folks that were eligible to vote, which was somewhere around two to 3,000, but turnout was always 500, around five to yep. 700. Yeah. And then um, I know it's a systemic issue that goes beyond the current mayor in, in, in Mississippi, um, but folks are not happy with his response currently, nor the federal government's response or the state government response in Mississippi to that water issue in, in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, but to your point, if Folks are not out there engaged in voting. I know folks are 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 are, are hard pressed because again, we're talking about Mississippi. A lot of a lot of other states mirror Mississippi to keep people disenfranchised. So I, I get that point of it, but folks are not happy with the response. But at the same time, they've been disenfranchised for so long that they're disengaged. So it's a lot of dynamics in that. So it's, it's a lot of four minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of dynamics in it. But I, I think that um. You know, there's a reason why no one is stopping us from protesting right now. We can we can write all we can make all the banners we want. We can march as often as we want. Um, you we had a national cry out uh, outcry for defund the police. Police departments are better funded than ever. Um, but because we don't vote, it's because we don't have an agenda. We don't. We're not. We're not holding our employee like it's a job. You know, job the same way. If you late for work, you got to answer for that. Like a lot of times people got yearly reviews on with their employer. You got all these uh, systems and metrics set up for your employment, but yet we're not holding anybody that we employ accountable. And government is your, is, they're your employees. Like we elect people to work for us. Um, 
and 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 that's the part that we've disengaged from. So we've surrendered uh, a, a, a huge level of, of power and equity. Uh, like you said, in the ward you were in, it's two thousand registered voters. You get between five and seven hundred on the turnout. You know, and that's on a good year. You that, know, yeah, like exactly. that, that's when it's a big election. But right. as much as people, as much as people have take issues every year in the year out with school, how many people are actually voting the board at or voting for board at? This is, you know what I mean? Like where this can be, these seats are one with 300 votes because that's the turnout. And so we we have the ability to change a lot of things um, in our community and we're not, you know, like we're, we're just not. Well, matter of, it's to the point where we're, we're, we're back in a particular uh, relationship with government that we were in 1994. We were crying out for certain reliefs and what we got was a crime bill, you know, and who's to be held accountable how are we holding people accountable and so you know voting is as much about the power to unelect as it is to elect someone and 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 that that you know that's a power you know and that that's that's a level of engagement our um our communities have to move towards like it's 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 the we have to find a way to commit to the to the testing of this theory does democracy work i think i i think also when so you have the fact that you have people who are disengaged. You have the fact that people are not leveraging their vote for the people that do come out and vote. Because I know one of the things that we were pushing for um, as as a as a unified force in our in our in the wars with all the co-chairs was that when individuals came to campaign to us, we wanted to one review their voting record if they had a, a voting record, and two if they didn't. We wanted to see if their rhetoric matched what we wanted as a platform. And if their mm-hmm. rhetoric wasn't matching what we wanted as a platform, then they weren't getting support. Yeah, I, I, I think that's um, a great step. I think if it's a community step, if it's ingrained in a community where a community has their own platform, they understand exactly, like we don't have to agree on everything, but are there five things that we know that just need to happen in this community? And this is how we're going to vote. Not sounds, screw parties, like a, screw everything else. Like we don't have to have these affiliations. We're we're <laughs> nonpartisan. This is about supporting anybody but community. If community if community can agree on that, then I mean we could take huge leaps. I agree, James. And at this time, unfortunately, we've run out of time. But you and I definitely need to connect. I heard you say you were in Hartford, New Haven. We need to get you back in Bridgeport. Look, yeah, we'll definitely um GOTV uh, on October. We'll be in Hartford, New Haven, and Bridgeport. We'll be out here. Okay. Thank you for your time, good brother. Keep up the great work. I look forward uh, to working with you again. I'm proud of you and keep inspiring. You inspired me, man. All right, man. I appreciate you, bro. I'll talk to you soon, bro. Likewise. Hello, folks. Hello, Mr. Diamond. You're muted. You got to unmute. There you go. We're good. We're good. Okay, folks, we're keeping the train moving. We got a, a few guests to get to. Um, unfortunately, we don't have as much time as I would like with everybody, but I want to get these people uh, time to share the great work that they're doing on, on this platform. So without further ado, Mr. Diamond, if you could introduce yourself and your, your program and the work that you're doing. 
Sure, thank you. Uh, my name is Barry Diamond. I'm the executive director of Pride International Training Programs. Uh, we're in the 10th year. It's our anniversary. Uh, what we do is we, we have, thank you, uh, we have a, a program called Be the Boss, and uh, it's at the University of Bridgeport, and we train released inmates how to go into business for themselves. Uh, we teach them banking, law, insurance, accounting, marketing, sales, you name it. Uh, we, we, we do everything there. Uh, what makes the program different and unique is that um, we've discovered that people that come out of prison, uh, they're not ready to learn. And so the first thing we do is we train them how to get mentally prepared so that they can come back to learning, making decisions, and then we teach them the data and the information that's necessary. Uh, the, the course is unique enough that uh, the, the government has given us a uh, copyright on the material. So it's a little, little bit different. Um, the other thing is that if the people are a Bridgeport resident, that they're eligible on graduation for an 18 college credit course at the University of Bridgeport, uh, as well as after they complete it, uh, they get um, $1,000 money for, uh, to help them with their business. We pay for the registration. Uh, they get mentors and also contacts with local banks. So it is a, a real easy way for people that come out to get uh, back involved, to financially be responsible, because most people uh, have difficulty getting uh, 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 back and getting a, a job. And a lot of this has been due uh, to Earl and the Myra program in Bridgeport. And so the anniversary is the 10th year in Bridgeport doing it. Uh, the other thing is that we are approved by the state and federal alternatives uh, sentencing court, which means uh, instead of going to prison, uh, somebody uh, can take our course and uh, do not necessarily get sentenced to prison. Or if they are uh, from prison and on probation, they can get up to a year off their uh, sentence and their probation. Oh, wow simply by taking our program. So uh, it really is a well-respected program and has a big impact on what's happening in the community. Uh, the other thing is that uh, we, we have a um, Home for Good telephone program uh, that uh, is uh, installed uh, first in the Bridgeport Welcome Center. Uh, where uh, somebody gets uh, a free phone service and uh, unlimited texting and unlimited phone calling. And uh, embedded right in the, the phone that they get is a financial literacy program for training. Uh, there is a, uh, an entrepreneurial uh, sign-up sheet for the course. Uh, they're allowed to go into a credit union and get uh, a bank account there as well as the local reentry services directory. So they will know where in Bridgeport they can get service for food, for rent, for heat, uh, whatever it is that is required to get them a little bit uh, more settled. And uh, uh, of course, in our spare time, uh, <laughs> we have uh, classrooms and prison training and Zoom training in Africa in Nigeria, Uganda, and Kenya. 
And and uh, so we're that's the reason why we've become uh, international. Uh, we, we think that uh, somebody who comes out of prison needs as much help as they can. And Bridgeport Community has embraced our program and assisted in us uh, uh, getting to the people coming out as well as uh, you know helping us in many many ways so uh, we 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 appreciate that the story is fast the story is furious and uh it 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 does the job that bridgeport needs at this point mr diamond i, I thank you for, for for that and um you know i first met you a few years ago before i even got in bridgeport and then when I got in Bridgeport and we got a chance to connect, although it didn't exactly work out how, how I wanted it, you know, I was able to help you somewhat. And then, you know, as 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 damaging as COVID was, there were also some benefits from COVID. And, and through that, you know, we got the ARPA funding, which uh, the city of Bridgeport um, was gracious enough to allocate almost $4.3 million uh, to reentry in the city of Bridgeport which is transforming Bridgeport, um, which allowed the Welcome Center to be open and funding to go to the University of Bridgeport for entrepreneurial uh, programs for formerly incarcerated and also included you in that. So, you know, anything that we can do to help the reentry population, um, we're going to do it. And you said a bunch of stuff that you guys are doing. Um, I don't want people to think, you know, you said it's your 10 year anniversary. I don't want people to think a lot of times people think, oh, these these people have been here, they have overnight success. You've been grinding at this for 10 years and you were, you were doing this out of your own, at your own expense. That's correct. For the majority of the 10 years that you've been doing this with the success rate that you've had. Yeah, uh, my family has financially supported the, uh, the program and uh, we think it is so necessary. Uh, and uh, um, we do really appreciate that you, you, felt that we were good enough that we could uh, get some help from the city, from the rescue program and get some uh, money coming in. Uh, but uh, we will continue to support, we'll continue to do what we need and we'll continue to grow into new things that are, are coming out into uh, you know Bridgeport. And um, as long as we're here, um, we've, we've got succession people, uh, we're looking to get uh, turn this into a legacy program uh, where uh, after I'm gone, it'll be continuing. So we're here. We're here to That's stay. Awesome. And hopefully you're not gone anytime soon. You're doing great work out there, Mr. Diamond. We really appreciate all the people that you've helped. And then by extension, helping the community as people start their own business. It enriches the entire community. Thank you so much. And it's, it's, it's a pleasure to be connected to Bridgeport and to Myra program. Oh, awesome. Thank you. You know, you you and the people that you work with and that I work with as well, it speaks a lot to about perseverance and about uplift in the community. So we want to continue the partnership and, and much more success. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. All right, sir. Thank you. Oh, you no, know, before we go, though, is there any upcoming events that you have or anything? Or anything that everybody, anybody else should know, or anything else anybody should know about uh, that you have going on. I know you mentioned the credit union and the phone program. Yes, yeah, we have. Yeah, we we have. Uh, we're we're 
working on uh, uh, looking for funding for the uh, credit union. We we have been approved. The filing has been approved. So uh, we can get started a uh, credit union that is strictly for reentry people uh, starting. And uh, we would be starting in the city of Bridgeport, opening up the first branch in the country. So anybody wow. that anybody that has any loose change, uh, we're only looking to raise a million, uh, two million. So uh, that'll get us started. The okay. the the beauty of it is that the final uh, uh, forms have been approved, and so the uh, the credit union association has sanctioned us and allowed us to go forward. So now we're in the process of just, you know, looking for people that want to invest in it and 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 uh, getting it going. It it will become uh, um, all over the state of Connecticut and then going into uh, all other states in the United States. But uh, the decision by myself was to start it in Bridgeport because this is where I'm from, and and so that's uh, that's that's where we are. Uh, you know, we're we're uh, we're looking uh, to work with Homebridge on uh, a community center that they're looking to uh, give uh, facilities and training as well as a place where people can be. Uh, we're looking to uh, partner with them. Uh, we're starting to step up where we're partnering and our contribution to other organizations that need our input, our help, and also. Uh, uh, you know, starting the the wheels turning for uh, looking for grants that will support uh, ours as well as other uh, organizations that are getting going and they're not where we are yet. Collaboration is the key. I think that's the way we succeed. Yeah, we all have to stick together and whatever we can do to help each other. Uh, you know, we have to understand that one person and one organization can't do it. We need to lend our expertise and help to others that are coming up and growing and and uh, are in another direction, but helping the reentry population. And so we serve a particular uh, uh, reentry. We're in education and we're in entrepreneurship education and communication education with the phone. Uh, the other areas are people that are starting to say, well, maybe we should get together and form a bigger unit and uh, go for funding for a bigger unit. So that's where we are. We're, we're not stopping. We're looking into what is required, what is still needed, and, and look for partners that we can get together and go for the bigger picture. Great. Thanks again yeah. for your time, Mr. Diamond. We'll be in touch. Um, I, I believe we have some uh, some uh, uh, workbooks printed out for you, so we'll be getting those over to you. Thank you so much. You have a blessed day, sir. Pre yes, pleasure sir. to speak with you and pleasure to work with you. Same. Have a great day, Earl. Yep. Bye-bye. All right, folks. So we were expecting a couple of other guests, um, but they have not as of yet shown up. So I'll take this time to talk about some of the programming that I know that's going on out in the community. And uh, if you have questions, um, you can reach me at myra.service at bridgeportct.gov. And uh, we can get some of these flyers out. And if you go on the website for the city of Bridgeport, you can uh, access Myra 
the the program that I'm overseeing for the reentry department for the city of Bridgeport, and you can be added to our distribution and mailing list, and we can get some of this information out to you um, about these great programs that are uh, some Bridgeport centric and some statewide. Um, one of the things I want to quickly uh, talk about is there is the Project Pearl um, going on at Yale, and I'll get these flyers out to those that are interested. They are, uh, this project goal is to create an app to help formerly incarcerated individuals stay organized with information that is important to them, as well as connect them to resources, including housing, jobs, food, medical resources, and more. They're designing the app by receiving input from formerly incarcerated individuals on what would be helpful for them upon re-entering their community and individuals who help this community upon discharge and the many barriers that are faced during this transition process from both sides. They are also conducting stakeholder interviews with discharge planners, case managers, directors from reentry programs to help them better understand the positive and negative of serving formerly incarcerated persons with many barriers to transitions back into the community. They also want to receive feedback from stakeholders about their app development. Um, the information is important for them and supporting justice involved uh, and involved individuals get access to what they need and increase their self-efficacy. They are hoping to partner with reentry organizations to help find persons who may be interested in participating in their interview process. They've been, uh, they've interviewed several men and women um, previously released within the past six months to a year and have learned very much about what helps them access care, housing, IDs, et cetera. In addition, uh, the Pearl app interviews are also recruiting black women for focus groups. Their goal for the focus group is to better understand the needs and preferences for content on mental health care and social support um, in the Pearl mobile app. They invite those who have been released uh, from correctional facilities within the last 12 months and speak English. Uh, the group sessions will take approximately one hour and the participants will be given a $50 gift card. So there you have it um, as it relates to Pearl. And we have information on uh, on those uh, on on the interviews as well as their outreach, and they're doing work uh, in the Greater New Haven community as well as in the city of Bridgeport. I believe they will be speaking at the next Bridgeport Roundtable um, in Bridgeport next month, um, which takes place every third Thursday of the month um, at 9 a.m. It's both uh, it's a hybrid meeting. It's virtual and in-person. Uh, it takes place at the Borough Center on Fairfield Ave in Bridgeport. Um, I'm waiting to see. My next guest is coming up from UNH. Uh, there's some information that they wanted to share with us around There's some information they wanted to share with us around uh, police accountability. And just give me one moment.
You're listening to the Tom Ficklin Show on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. Yeah, Earl, there's no one in the waiting room. All right, let me see here. Just give me one more thanks, Harry. What do you think so far about uh, the subject matter, Harry? I always like talking to you in between. Well, um, you know, re-entry is... It's an interesting subject these days, right? Um, because we see um, what's going on in the nation when it comes to crime. Crime is way up. And um, yep, there's a lot of people blaming, you know, re-entry. They are. And I don't, I don't, and I think you and I talked a little bit about this previously. It's not it's not necessarily reentry that's causing the uptick uh, in some of the issues. Um, those issues were already there and it's been exacerbated by the, the, uh, the pandemic um, with people not having enough resources. And in point of fact, if you go through the national numbers, crime has been down. So you're, you're looking at a, an overall look at it, like crime being down in the last few years um, because violent crime is up. So it's uh, like we're gonna have to look at each other's numbers because I get my numbers from the Department of Justice. Yeah, yeah, I I, I do the same. I, I I go to the FBI website actually. Okay. Um, and we should I, have a show just on this topic because I really want to talk to you more in depthly about this. Oh yeah, well yeah, it's a totally different thing, and and the problem is now. I've had family members. I actually had a brother who died in prison. Um, My condolences. So who who they didn't give medical care when they needed to give him medical care. Um, but yeah, we definitely need to talk about this one day. You know, in the future, talk about crime reentry, all the statistics. But you do have somebody in the room now. I believe so we have that, Dr. Cooper. Let's get yeah. her on. So let me. Get her on, and I'll bounce out. Okay. Good hey, morning. Dr. Cooper. How you doing today? Uh, alive and well, 10 toes down. Got no complaints. I won the lottery. I opened my eyes today. So Yes, and, and the sun joined day. us and everything today. It's been a little rainy, but we made it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. You know what they say, the rain brings flowers. So we, we needed it. Perfect. So um, I want to give you, because you've been speeding through, with so much good content. I don't know if you had a chance to listen in while we were doing it. I know you're a busy woman, so you got your hands in a lot of different things and you're helping a lot of people. So if you could please introduce yourself to the audience and what it is that you're doing and what brings you to us today. Yes, good morning and greetings from the University of New Haven. I am an associate professor of criminal justice and I'm also the director of research at the Tal Youth Justice Institute. One of the things that I'm very excited to talk to you all about is the Connecticut Institute for Youth and Police Relations. I'm the co-principal investigator on what is a two-year, uh, a three-year project that we're two years completed and, and moving into the third year for now that I've been working on with Dr. Lorenzo Boyd in the greater Hartford area. And we have been, you know, piloting this program despite the fact that it's been the pandemic and we're at the point where we have uh, been having the officers out in the community for more than a year. Uh, and we are at the point where we really want to talk more to the community, make sure that we can raise awareness, make sure that we're getting feedback 
feedback and input um, before we move into a second cohort. So I'm, I'm glad to share that we will be having three listening sessions. Uh, the first listening session will be in person on October 3rd at the Hartford Public Library downtown at 6 p.m. We will be serving pizza. We want you to come. We want to be able to engage with you. But the point there is we really want to hear from um, the audience. And so we have all types of ways that we plan to whether it be open conversation or just different things that we can share about the program and prompt, you know, the community to share back with us different thoughts that they might be having. Uh, because we know that everyone can't make it to Hartford and because we know this conversation is not limited to those who are just in that area or, or that region, we'll be also holding two uh, Zoom listening sessions. And so uh, we'll, we're pretty much spacing them out every two weeks. So the second Zoom session will take place on Thursday, October 20th, uh, which is also at 6 p.m. And the third Zoom session will take place on November 7th, which is a Monday at 6 p.m. In the Zoom sessions, um, as well as in the in-person sessions, the goal is to engage, whether that be with our officers, us as the you know, training staff and principal investigators, but also just us as a whole community. We feel like there's plenty of voice. We've conducted a survey in August where we invited people to share their feedback and over 1,400 people between our May launch and our August launch gave their thoughts about what community policing looks like in the state of Connecticut. And we want to be able to share directly with the community and get feedback before we launch that more publicly. And we just, we're just excited for this opportunity and this work. We hope people will come out and share their thoughts. That is awesome. So you said you're going into your third year with yeah. this, um, this focus. What success have you guys seen over the last two years? Um, how have you moved the needle? Well, I would acknowledge that this started in 2020. So we recruited uh, in the greater Hartford area in 2020. And so we started to serve 14 officers in February of 2021. So just their commitment to literally eight hours of training monthly where we came together in person to discuss what it looks like to be in community with youth to better serve communities themselves that might uh, be marginalized or might, you know, be uh, having had different issues, of course, with um, law enforcement in the past, and just really trying to increase the conversation about restorative practice, about adolescent development, about partnerships, and just really broaden what is their perspective of what does it mean for people wanting to work with them and for them to be a resource to people as well. Um, and then, you know, when we look over the past year, that's seven police units that we have served as they have been out serving the community. So one of the main concerns is that sometimes training is a one-off. Sometimes the support is not there in a uh, substantive way. And so like when we think about what it means to encourage people to be in place with our youth, this was a really mindful attempt to be supportive because we know that police are going to see youth in the community. We know that we're having active discussions about what it means for youth to see police in various school settings. And so we feel like this gave our officers an opportunity to build community, not only with young people and youth serving organizations, but also with each other. So there's a broader network of understanding amongst themselves about how they might be working as a collective to, to better like be informed about things that the young people care about, things that the community are saying. Because, you know, when you look at it, the community is the knowledge source. The community knows what's going on. The community knows all types of perspective about what the need is, but the community is not always perceived the authority. So then who is perceived as an authority? So then how do we use that 
that leverage of police authority or power or, you know, how do we use that to amplify and collaborate with that knowledge when, you know, how do we make that more um, collaborative is what we've been seeking to do. Awesome. Uh, I know we're out of time, but I still have, I have two questions to ask you so if you can make them succinct. One is, have you guys had legislative wins with this work? And then two, um, how can we help you? How can we be of service? How did the, the Bridgeport community, the New Haven community, the Harvard community, the Divine Nine, how can we help in, this, in the progress of this work? Uh, we can help me because I can send you an email so that we can help continue to blast out. I've, I attend meetings. I continue to spread the word about our past work as well as our upcoming listening sessions. And when I think about what the wins are, we don't exist in that policy space for that purpose, but we are in collaboration with what has and is the Police Transparency Accountability Task Force. So then we have been assistive as they have done listening sessions, as they have made policy recommendations. We've been a part of making sure that we can continue to align our resources with youth, our resources with the police, our resources with community to make sure that we continue to get as much voice and representation in these spaces as we can. Oh, that's awesome. Um, hey, I want to thank you for your time, Dr. Cooper. Um, I'm proud of you. Um, you are inspiring and keep up the great work. I look forward to connecting with you. In fact, later on today, please hit me up. because I do want to talk to you about some stuff. Yes, I will. Thank you very much for this time. Good luck on the rest of your show. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, Harry. You there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Um, so I'm waiting for Ms. Tara Volpe to join us from Connecticut Against Gun Violence. I don't know if she's going to join us. I thought she was, but uh, I, just, I just hit her up. Um, and I know time is running short because we're going to do a hard stop at, uh, what, uh, 11.55, something like that. Okay, so you could wrap up the show anywhere from 48 to 55. So if they don't show up, you could actually wrap it up at 48. All right, so I'm, while we're waiting for her to show I just sent you something. Are you able to share that with the folks? Yeah. Um, so there's a YouTube video? Yes. Okay, let me do that right now. And it's, just, it's something that I think people need to know about. It's, it's about the Pell Grant being expanded um, from the pilot that uh, President Obama started um, to being um, fully recognized and fully expanded back into the uh, um, prison system where folk can take advantage of the Pell Grant um, to get educated while they're in prison. So I, I would have thought that that's something that was already in effect. So Yeah, it was years and years ago, and then it was stopped. Oh, okay. All right, let's listen to this. Uh, if I can get it, let's do this. Many Amer <clears throat> excuse me, many American colleges. Can you hear it? Hearing yep. a spike of interest in prison education programs. That's because incarcerated people will be eligible for Pell Grants starting next summer. It'll be the first time in 28 years that prisoners can access that federal funding for higher education. Stephanie Sai has this report for our series, Rethinking College. 28 years, 
Pedro Rivera is a senior at Pitzer, a private college in Claremont, California, with a picturesque campus that Rivera has never stepped foot on. It's not easy. Like I put in the work and I obsess over the details. Rivera has been incarcerated for 16 years. A few years ago, he was watching PBS when his ears perked up. It was a PBS series called College Behind Bars, featuring Bard College's prison initiative in New York State. More than anything, after watching this program, that's what I wanted. Like, I signed up for everything I could, and finally someone saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, and they was like, uh, we're going to give you this opportunity. That's the, that's the bigger issue. 43-year-old exactly. right? Rivera is now just a few classes away from his bachelor's degree. He's part of a pioneering program that brings students inside prison together with students from the outside. Faculty, Professor Nigel Boyle runs the program. Outside students, traditional students, will learn more from a class taught in, inside prison than they would in that, the same class taught uh, uh, conventionally. And similarly, the inside students will learn uh, an awful lot. And it's this learning across often generational difference, as well as obviously the difference in legal status, uh, that is very powerful. The inmates pursuing higher education here get to live in a dedicated section of the facility, the prison equivalent of a college dorm, where there's an exchange of ideas and a common scholastic pursuit. Section 308 is a special place. Textbooks and school supplies litter the bunks. About 48 incarcerated men here are enrolled in higher education courses. We have students in this classroom that are part of the... That number may be about to balloon. For decades, Pell Grants, federal financial aid to help low-income students pay for college, were off-limits for incarcerated men and women. It was a vestige of the controversial crime bill, sponsored by then-Senator Joe Biden and signed by President Clinton in 1994. But that ban is being lifted next year. The reintroduction of federal student aid through Pell Grants is going to be transformative. Margaret DeZerica is a researcher at the Vera Institute of Justice. With the new law, all people in prison are going to be eligible for Pell, regardless of the conviction type or sentence length, which is huge. In the criminal justice reform field, we rarely see this type of victory that is inclusive of everybody who's incarcerated. Some half a million incarcerated people will be able to apply for a Pell Grant next year, aid that will allow them to earn a college degree before being released from a prison like this. Research by the RAND Corporation has shown that providing prison education reduces recidivism by 43 percent. And Desiraga says it also addresses deeper inequities. There's so many reasons that these college programs are important. There's a very strong argument to be made for racial disparities in terms of who is impacted by the justice system, who is left behind from our education system. One of those left behind was Kenny Butler. He describes middle school in Watts when he was a kid. It was the, you know, a gang factory pretty much. You know, they had the LAP there on campus. At, in a middle school, which was unheard of before, but they actually had the LAPD at this campus. Jumped by a gang when he was only 10 years old, the script was written for him. A lot of people are forced to be a part of the gang. They may not want to, but you get jumped on enough times, you're going to be looking for protection from somewhere. He was 12 when he first went to jail. 
In June of last year, at 48, he was released early from the California Rehabilitation Center, having spent 15 years in prison for the charge of aiding and abetting homicide. Reading was the way to break up that time, break up the monotony of prison. And so I just fell in love with it, started studying etymology and realizing the origins of words and things like that. Butler became a standout scholar, earning his associate's degree from Norco College and graduating from Pitzer with his bachelor's degree. He was one of the first inside-out students. A lot of us doubt ourselves in that space, you know, if we're really educated or not. And so to sit inside a classroom with, you know, with liberal arts professors and, and students from around the world, and it just, it does something for you. You know, it builds confidence in yourself. And so... That's the difference, I believe. He recently won a prestigious Fulbright scholarship for research on a Ugandan prison. He's never been out of the country. Prison administrators say stories like Kenny's prove what incarcerated people are capable of, if given the chance. All of a sudden, you learn that skill and you can catapult forward. Shannon Swain runs the education department in the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation Office. Correctional education is transformative, and higher correctional education is it's mind-boggling what you see in the classroom. So I believe correctional education is a, a big key component to public safety. With Pell Grant money becoming available, colleges around the country are expected to pounce. Nigel Boyle says that can create a quality control problem. There's more to a college education than just accumulating X amount of credit. So I think we have a concern that academic standards are upheld and this is high quality bachelor's education that inside students are receiving. So how did this make sense to you? Oh, so we get a system based off the story. If done right, a higher education is the best chance at rehabilitation, says Warden Glenn Pratt. Some people might say this is a prison. Uh, it's supposed to be about punishment. Why should they get access to educational opportunities? The reality is uh, these, these men here at CRC are going to be our neighbors, and we have to provide them successful tools to be productive citizens when they're released. For most of my life, I've mostly just been around people with really similar experiences to me. Pitzer's sophomore, Jack, who for safety is allowed to use only his first name, was impressed. It was his first time setting foot in a prison. It, it puts me out of my comfort zone. Like, I think mean, nobody likes to think about, like, systems of inherent injustice. Being here and hearing different points of view is really impactful to me. It's about bringing the community inside these closed institutions, right, equally. And equality is a big thing. So no one's response to a question is more important than the next person's. We all respect each other in that space. Shared respect, and for Pedro Rivera, an opportunity to earn more than just a degree. Prior to coming to prison and winding up in this situation in, in my life, I've dishonored myself and I've dishonored my family. And this is how, um, this is how I see I can bring honor back to my name. So I know we're about to end here, so I just wanted to get a, a quick couple of things in before we stop. Um, the hang time folks in Connecticut Hall of Change uh, with Charlie Grady presents Ali Sadiq, Thursday, October 27th. Um, this is a comedy show. Uh, Ali Sadiq is a formerly incarcerated individual, and this is helping support Connecticut Hall of Change, which nominates eight individuals who are formerly incarcerated. Um, every year, 
that have come out and uh, made a difference in their community. Um, you can get tickets at comedycraftbeer.com and that's $40 a ticket. And if you have a student ID, it's $30. And then we also have the, we also have the uh, Youth Empowerment Summit or YES taking place October 9th in Bridgeport, the Connecticut Against Gun Violence Youth Council. So I'll get the information out to those who would like to attend that. And they are going to be, it's taking place in Bridgeport, but they're gonna be busing kids and youth from as far as Hartford, possibly New London, uh, New Haven, and possibly Waterbury if there's enough interest. So we'll get some information out on that as well. And then uh, last but not least, um, there is, just give me one moment here. There is the, the Delta Academy and GEMS youth program. And uh, applications are available at nhacdst.org slash program. Orientation will be taking place on Thursday, um, October 13th, uh, 2022 at 6 p.m. And this program is for young women ages uh, 11 to 18. Um, let's see, and it's to prepare for participation as leaders in the 21st century for young women. And uh, We'll get information out on that as well. I want to take this time for thanking uh, the producer of the show who makes everything happen, Mr. Harry Dross and uh, Mr. Tom Ficklin for giving uh, me this opportunity uh, to host the show and uh, inform the community on, on things going on with the reentry population. And I think we're good, Harry. As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen I'm never quitting on my mission, I'ma roll with what I'm giving Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing Better watch the way you're going, better go in the right direction In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings And I know that for certain, keep on working, open curtains Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version Whoa. I'm never gon' give up, give up Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah Cause this is my road